Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Morning, everyone. Just want to start this morning um, with a question. I wonder, have, have you ever had an opinion of someone and then it completely changed? This happened to me a couple of years ago. Uh, one of my nursery teachers um, from my home church was this little old lady. Um, her name was Wendy. She was really, really sweet. She used to bake cakes all the time. She'd show up at your door with a fresh batch of scones. Um, she didn't speak very much. And I remember she smelt really strong of talcum powder. That was Wendy to me. Um, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, Wendy actually passed away, and because she was such a well-loved woman, um, absolutely everyone went to her funeral. And we had gone to celebrate the way she'd lovingly and humbly served the church for many years. People shared loads of stories about her life. Um, and then a few moments later, her son got up to share a few words, um, and he revealed that she had actually served for 20 years as an MI5 agent, and nobody had a clue. <laughs> Um, So my opinion of Wendy, this kind and cuddly, scone-baking nursery teacher, instantly changed. I had known her as a meek and mild old lady who'd read me stories, given me squash and biscuits, but with this new piece of information, she was suddenly so much more than that. The disciples in this passage that we're going to read this morning have an experience of seeing Jesus, quite literally, in a new light, and it changes everything for them. We're going to read from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 13. Um, If you've got a Bible with you, you can read along with me, or it's going to come up on the screen behind me. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognise him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So on first reading, the transfiguration is probably one of the most wacky stories in the Bible. Essentially, Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain and was changed. His face begins to shine, um, his clothes beamed. The voice of God was heard audibly and the prophets Moses and Elijah appeared as well. So understandably, the disciples were absolutely terrified and fell on their faces. 
But within this passage, there are some incredible details and messages that tell us not only about the character of God, but also the authority of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look firstly at how we can position ourselves to meet with God. Secondly, how the Old Testament helps us to see Jesus more clearly. And then finally, we're going to look at what it means to allow Jesus to have all authority over our lives. Growing up in church, I was part of the youth group and um, we used to go on youth weekends away every single Easter time. And our youth group thought it was quite cool. Um, So our weekends were called house party. Um, Everyone would come. We'd play games. um, People would get guns. We'd have a fancy dress party. And we'd read the Bible together and people would really encounter God in those meetings. There was just something about those Easter house parties where God just seemed to show up for some reason. And so a pattern began to emerge. Um, People would come on an Easter house party and then they'd get home and realise that they couldn't feel the presence of God in the same way. And so they'd slowly drop away from church and then would come back for next year's weekend away. In our passage this morning, Jesus takes his disciples up a mountain and the disciples have an encounter with God like never before. They've walked closely with Jesus for years and years. They've seen him perform numerous miracles. But now on top of this mountain, his face begins to shine and his clothes begin to get even whiter. And as this is happening, the voice of God comes through a cloud. And Moses and Elijah, who were long dead at this point, um, start walking around too. And so rightly so, everyone's absolutely terrified. But Peter begins to encounter God as if for the first time. And in verse 4, he essentially says, let's just stay here. It's really good here. Let's just set up a tent and stay here. I wonder how many times you or I might have felt like that. Perhaps maybe you've been on on some sort of Christian weekend away um, or a youth camp and you've just felt, you know what? I just want to stay here. I can always feel God here. And Peter's initial response, I guess, is a bit similar to this. But this response isn't quite right and he actually gets cut off by the voice of God. Imagine getting cut off by the audible voice of God. Because God had not met with Peter, James and John um, just so they'd set up some tents and hang out with Moses and Elijah up there on that mountain forever. He'd met with them in a huge way so that they would remember it and bring the Holy Spirit with them into their everyday lives. And this is exactly what happened. Throughout the letters in the New Testament that were written by these same disciples, they can't stop bringing it up. They can't forget about it, and it's completely changed their lives. I have um, an auntie and uncle and two cousins who live in New Orleans in the US, and my auntie realised at a young age that she could not biologically have children, so they decided that they wanted to adopt and adopt from China. So my auntie and uncle went through this really long process of travelling back and forth between the US and China, trying to get themselves approved to be adoptive parents. And after a couple of years, they managed it and they took home my cousin Mary um, from an orphanage in China. And then a few years after that, they took home my younger cousin Mia as well. Now, my auntie and uncle had longed for children. They had waited so long for the day they would finally get to meet their child. They'd watch their friends get married and begin to have children, but it just wasn't happening for them. This was something that they'd longed for. But crucially, if they hadn't turned up in China, if they hadn't contacted the adoption agency, if they hadn't sought to find themselves a child, it wouldn't have happened. And sometimes it can be the same kind of situation with our faith. We desperately want an encounter with God. We want to meet with him like I wanted to after those youth weekends away. But the Bible says we must first draw near to him. God has promised us that when we seek him, we will find him. 
James 4, verse 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If we position ourselves to receive, then God will meet us where we're at. And there's nothing particularly magical about a week you might spend at Soul Survivor or at some sort of Christian camp. There's nothing particularly magical about our church services, what we do here um, at, at these meetings. We're simply making space for God to move among us. There's no magic formula that's going to make him turn up. We just position ourselves to hear from him, to receive what he wants to give us. Before the disciples had encountered God that day, they chose to go up the mountain with Jesus. They chose to position themselves to go and receive, to go and meet with God. So the first thing I think we can learn from this passage is that in order to encounter God, we position ourselves to meet with him. Psalm 73 verse 23 says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in him. I've encountered God in various different ways over the course of my life as a Christian and sometimes these encounters have been big life-changing moments or they've been smaller and more subtle things that have spoken into my life profoundly. Quite often I encounter God through reading the Bible, often the verses which speak of God's amazing grace and mercy for my life are the ones that God really uses to get my attention. And a couple of years ago, I was doing um, a New Frontiers discipleship training course. So I'd travel down to Bedford once every six weeks or so to spend some time learning about the Bible. And at this time in my life, I was really struggling with understanding my new identity in Christ, that God had really forgiven me and that that was essentially enough. And one morning on this training week, we had this guest speaker come in. I'm not actually sure what his name is. Um, and during the middle of a preach, he just stopped and said to me, you don't need to doubt your salvation. Jesus has already paid the price for you. And this guy had had absolutely no idea that at that time I was really racked with guilt and perfectionism totally ruled my life. And I doubted whether what Jesus had done was really sufficient for me, for my sin and my brokenness. He came over afterwards and prayed and shared my favourite Bible verse, um, which is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I hadn't done anything special for God to speak to me that way, um, but crucially I'd gone on this week away, and I'd sought the presence of God by going there and doing that, and God had met with me. Now that's quite a big example of a specific encounter with God, but we can, we can encounter God in the everyday smaller ways as well. Similarly, when I sit in my room in the morning, I try to make sure um, that opening my Bible is one of the first things I do. Um, I can assure you this does not always happen. But when I do, I'm drawing near to God. I'm giving him the space to speak to me. I'm giving him room to meet with me. So my first point is that like the disciples did, we position ourselves to meet with God and we will see him move. Have you ever watched a film and really not had a clue what's going on? This happens for me quite regularly. Um, my fiancé, Connor, writes scripts in his free time and has a master's in film study. So the way it normally goes when we're watching a film is that I'll just sit and ask loads of questions um, and interrupt the film all the time, and he'll just kind of tell me what's going on, which is really helpful. Um, but in most good films, there comes a point, a great point, where all the little subplots and random character stories come together and everything makes sense. You finally realise why that thing happened at the beginning um, or the real villain is revealed. It's a really good moment. And if you're like me, then you probably heard this passage that we're reading this morning and thought, well, why, why did this whole transfiguration thing happen? 
Why did, like, why did Moses and Elijah randomly show up? But in our passage, this encounter that the disciples had with Jesus brought them to that moment of clarity where all their questions were suddenly answered and everything became clear. Their encounter pointed them back to the Old Testament when Moses and Elijah appeared up on that mountaintop. In verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replies to them in verse 12, Elijah has already come and they did not recognise him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Essentially, the disciples are asking Jesus, why is everyone hyping Moses and Elijah so much if they're not actually the real deal? And Jesus' face then begins to shine, just like Moses' face shone back in the Old Testament. Um, and there are various parallels here with the Old Testament book of Exodus. It seems that Jesus calls his disciples, and us too this morning, to remember Moses and is now saying, look at me, this is who you once followed, but I am the new and better Moses. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I am what you've been waiting for. I don't know about you, but I struggle a little bit to read the Old Testament. And a few years ago, I attempted to do the Bible in one year. And if you haven't heard of this before, basically someone has designed a Bible um, that takes chunks from the Old Testament and the New Testament and a psalm for you to read every day until you've read the whole Bible. And it was going okay for me. Genesis was fine. And then as I got into Leviticus and Numbers, I just began to flag a bit. So many names and lists of genealogies, I kind of lost my way. Reading the Old Testament can sometimes feel like watching one of those really long films. It's full of hints and pointers towards something coming, but maybe you're not always sure what's going on. But crucially, the Old Testament is a huge pointer to Jesus, and we can see it throughout. Augustine said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. This quote is basically saying that the Old Testament tells us the story of the gospel in a sort of subtle way and then in the New Testament it's really revealed to us clearly. And when we look at the amount of pointers to Jesus in the Old Testament, we suddenly read it in a new light. Genesis 3:15 tells us that Jesus would be born of a woman. Micah 5.2 tells us that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, even tells us the place that he would be born. Isaiah 7.14 tells us that Jesus would be born of a virgin. The book of Isaiah was written thousands of years before Jesus even was born, yet there are prophecies that are so detailed about his life, even down to the fact that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Like in a really cleverly done film, we can piece bits together and see that God is constantly drawing us back to relationship with Jesus throughout the whole Bible. So, so far we've seen that we position ourselves to meet with God and that the Old Testament continuously points us to Jesus. And now finally, we can learn from this encounter with God that Jesus has all authority over our lives. Thinking back to the story of my MI5 agent nursery teacher, it's clear that in life we can often get the wrong idea about people and perhaps we treat them accordingly. And sometimes it's easy to do this with Jesus. A couple of years ago I was asked to play Mary in my church nativity at Christmas. Um, now the church I grew up in at home loves just to go really hard at Christmas um, and they fully set up this stable with real straw in it. There was a real donkey um, and I was inside this stable dressed as Mary. Um, it was an absolutely magical scene, and I got to pull out some of my best acting skills as well, which was fun. Um, but some of the younger kids who were there 
absolutely, genuinely believed that I was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that the, the doll I was holding was actually the Son of God, Jesus incarnate. And they all gathered round me and they were shushing each other so as not to wake up Jesus. And I remember hearing one of them say, oh, he's so cute. Perhaps without knowing it, we sometimes treat Jesus a little bit like that doll. So meek and mild and cute and we forget that in fact he is God. And at the end of this book, um, in Matthew, in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In this verse, Jesus has just deemed himself CEO of the whole universe. And this isn't just something he's saying. This is a descriptor of his whole life. He taught as one with authority. He healed as one with authority. He forgave sin as one with authority. But so often we can have Jesus as a passenger in the car of our lives. We cling onto the steering wheel as tight as possible, just trying to stay in control. And perhaps we occasionally will chat to Jesus, who sat in the seat next to us, but we could never let him drive. In my life and in your life, there is always the question before us, who is driving? Who has authority? And in this passage, in verse 5, the voice of God can be heard audibly saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It says, listen to him, exclamation mark. Here God is reiterating to the disciples and to us this morning the identity of Jesus, that he is not just a man who did a couple of cool miracles during his time on earth. He is in fact God and has all authority. So my challenge for us this morning is how big is our view of God? Do we see him as that meek and mild little doll in my church nativity? Or is he the God of our lives? It is a cringy analogy, but is he sat in the passenger seat or are we, are we just asking him for a few directions um, every now and then? Or is he driving the car of our lives? And what a relief it is that Jesus actually has authority over our lives. Because left to our own devices, we don't, we don't do that well. Recently, I've been learning that if I don't realign myself with Jesus um, every day... Um, and keep on putting him back on the throne every single day, then I just get lost, I get tired, I lose perspective. And this is because I'm not meant to be the one that's in control of everything. God is. And the gift of surrendering control over to God is peace. If I live under the illusion that I am God, I will drive myself absolutely crazy with my need for control. And the beautiful thing is that our God knows the pain of surrender. The night before he was crucified, as a punishment for our sin, he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus surrendered to his father's authority by literally laying down his life for us. Now for us, trusting in the authority of Jesus looks like perhaps waking up in the morning and being confident and saying, okay, God, today you lead me and I'm going to follow Whatever I have to do in my relationships, my body, my health and my finances are in your hands. Help me give you control today. This story from Matthew shows us Jesus in all his splendour. It shows us that we can approach him expecting that he will meet us. It shows us that Jesus has always been the saviour of humanity right the way through from the Old Testament to the New. And it shows us that he is the only God worthy of all our respect, our honour and our surrender. So I realise we've covered quite a different range of topics this morning, so I just want to spend a little bit of time praying um, before we go back into worship. Let's pray.
Yeah, Lord God, I thank you that you promise us um, that when we draw near to you, God, you will draw near to us. Thank you that you are a God that's close. You are a God that wants to reveal yourself to us. And I just pray for anyone here this morning who is, um, yeah, like, like um, the kids on my youth group who, who really wanted to encounter you, God, um, just thirsting, hungering for an encounter with you, Jesus. I pray that you would meet with them, that you would reveal yourself to them. And Lord God, as well, I just pray for um, yeah, your help just to surrender to the authority of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you are worthy of all um, our submission to you, God. Thank you that you paid the price already for us. And yeah, I pray that this week, as we go into this week, God, you would just be revealing new ways that we can lay down our lives for you each morning, God. I pray for new routines to be um, set into our everyday. Yeah, God, we thank you for the cross. Thank you that you came and died for us, that we might have this relationship with you. Amen.